Father, as your word is shared and taught today, I pray that you would do what I cannot. I pray that through your spirit you would move and touch every heart, that you would bring to conviction, and that you would uplift people today in the name of Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen. So this past week, I finished reading the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, and I have to say, I was pretty impressed with this fellow. Let me share with you five things that stood out to me from his story. Here's the first one. In case you didn't know, he's one of the founding fathers of the United States, so that by itself is kind of a big deal. Second, he's one of the signers of both the Declaration of Independence and also the U.S. Constitution. But he wasn't just one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was actually the key editor for that document. So whereas Thomas Jefferson was one of the primary authors of the Declaration of Independence, Ben Franklin was the filter. Now, let me test your knowledge of the Declaration of Independence. Let's see how familiar you are with this particular line. Okay, are you ready? Pop quiz begins right now. Okay, Does this sound familiar or no? It says, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal. Does it sound a little familiar about halfway? Some of you are like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. Okay, so this is what Thomas Jefferson submitted to the committee. But notice how it changed, and I'm sure some of you could quote it by memory. Once it got to Benjamin Franklin, here's what he did with it. He said, nope. We're going to cross out sacred and undeniable. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Ah, now that sounds correct. I mean, isn't that just great editing? Really clear and succinct. That's what Benjamin Franklin did to it. Number three, he was a true Renaissance polymath. A polymath is simply someone that holds a vast amount of knowledge in a wide variety of subjects. So, for example, he knew Latin and he could speak and read in Spanish, French, and Italian, and he could hold forth very intelligently on a wide variety of subjects such as theology, philosophy, mathematics, science, and more. In fact, if you Google the name of Benjamin Franklin and polymath, or just polymath by itself, you'll notice that he's listed among some of the top polymaths in history. And tell me if any of these other names sound familiar to you. Benjamin Franklin is often among these lists. Copernicus, Nikola Tesla, Leonardo da Vinci, anybody? Yes, so Benjamin Franklin is often among these people, some of the greatest polymaths in history. Oh, and by the way, remember that little lightning and kite experiment that we've often heard about? Yeah, he sought to prove, or he ended up proving through that, that lightning is indeed electricity. Look, that's just a polymath polymathing doing stuff in a wide variety of subjects because they can and they have the interest. So he was a polymath. Also, this is pretty cool. He's on the $100 bill. In case you didn't know what he looked like, this is he. That's Benjamin Franklin. And when people talk about getting the Benjamins, this is what they're talking about, getting $100 bills. And this is particularly interesting to me because In 1914, when they first came out with a $100 bill, and they sought to think of who they could possibly honor with the largest denomination at that time and still today in circulation, 
they came up with the name of Benjamin Franklin. I just have to say that as I was pulling these images from the internet, I realized, oh, they're kind of colorful. That shows you how often I, you know, handle $100 bills. I just, yeah, I, I didn't know they were quite that, quite that colorful. Number five, he did all that he did and accomplished with only two years of formal education. And when I say formal education, I'm not talking about university studies. I'm talking about elementary school. He was an autodidact. He was self-taught. He would try to work a little bit in order to buy books. He would read those books. Then he would sell those books to buy more books. Or he would find people that had books and he would ingratiate himself to them so that he could hang out and read their books and their libraries. Really amazing person in history. And I could go on and on about his accomplishments, but what really impressed me the most, I think, about his autobiography is actually how it starts. Because his autobiography is essentially an extended letter to his son. Notice how he starts his autobiography. And this is not the, the preface to it or anything like this. This is the autobiography proper. He starts it like this. Dear son... Imagining it may be equally agreeable to you to know the circumstances of my life, many of which you are yet unacquainted with, and he continues from there. So in other words, yes, in his autobiography, he's seeking essentially to say, look, son, I've kind of learned some lessons in life, and I would love nothing more than to pass on these lessons that I've learned as a father throughout history and pass them on to you. I want to teach you a little bit about the 12 virtues that I've developed. I want to teach you a little bit about the habitudes that I've come across. I want to teach you a little bit about history in my life. But out of my fatherly care and concern, I want to teach you my story. Look, I'm no Benjamin Franklin. But I wonder if you would allow me the privilege to share some fatherly care and concern with you today. I have two sons, Jonathan and Daniel, so I am a father. They're 15 and 12 years old. And I would like to, for a few moments today, to pass along a little bit of fatherly care and concern, not just to my two sons, but to every single one of you, if you would allow me, just from a place of love. So what topic you're saying, Rodley, okay, what's on your heart? What, what care and concern would you like to touch upon? It's this. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, and I'm going to begin reading in your hearing. The Bible says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So here's Israel. They're on the very border of Canaan, about to receive their inheritance and enter into the promised land. When the Bible reveals to us that all of a sudden they began to sin openly in the area of idolatry and sexual immorality. And please, please don't miss this. Worship to the Baal of Peor involved what's called temple prostitution. 
We don't have time to get into that, and I'm not going to get into it now. But suffice it to say that if we can put sin on a spectrum, this is as bad of sin as you could possibly imagine. Horrible, disgusting, really, really bad. Here's the question. Was this just a coincidence, do you think? Do you think they they just happened to happenstance about and this temptation come upon them? Well, we don't have to guess. Notice what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 31. Turn a few pages over. Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. The Bible says, They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident, so that a plague stuck the Lord's people. Don't miss what's happening. What the devil whispered to Balaam in order to whisper to the kings of the surrounding nations is that if you really want to get the people of God to stumble and trip up, you've got to surround them with temptation of the sexual nature. It's the arrow in his bag. It's his best silver bullet that he can put in the gun. He says, look, this is tried and true. Expose them to sexual temptation on a constant basis and you will prevent them from entering into the promised land. Let me ask you this. Let me push it a little bit further. Do you suppose that the devil would switch his strategy? I mean, check it out. Look, could it be that as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, and could it be that as we get closer to crossing into the heavenly Canaan, that all of a sudden the devil would use that strategy that's been so effective in the past, and all of a sudden he said, okay, we're going to go with something else. (laughs) No. No. Instead, his... The devil's strategy is to quantum leap what is done before. He said, we're going to keep going in that direction, but we're going to go even harder and more faithfully in that direction. Because if that prevented the people of God from entering into the earthly kingdom, I'm I'm going to do everything, everything in my power to prevent them from entering into the heavenly Canaan. So here's what I want to share with you for a few moments. I want to share with you for a few moments, some principles for living a life of purity. And it's going to come from a place of love as a father to you. But first, let me just say this. I believe that the devil took advantage of COVID. Here's why I say that. And I'm not blaming schools because this happened all over the world. COVID hit, all of a sudden, every single child, tell me if I'm wrong, all of a sudden, every single child was required to be online. Every kid, every teenager, all of a sudden, they need an iPad, they need a computer, they have to have access to the internet in some way, and all of a sudden, temptation is now just a click or a swipe away from them. And I don't have to try to convince you, Pastor Dwight has done a masterful job over the last several weeks teaching us about just how pervasive online temptation actually is. So I'm not here to convince you of that. If you're a parent, you already know that. If you're a parent with kids in the home, you know that. If you're a a young adult, you already know that. Just how pervasive 
online temptation actually is. So here's the question, what should we do? Should we just give up and give in? Should we just say, well, this tidal wave of temptation is trying to sweep us away, so let's just go with the tide. Should we do that? No, in the name of Jesus, we definitely should not. I want to share with you three principles for living a life of purity. And here's the first principle. Have a daily relationship with God. Turn with me to Psalm 119. We're going to look at verse 9 and 11. Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11. And the Bible says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? I mean, isn't that the question? Parents, grandma, grandpa, uncle, auntie. I mean, isn't this the question? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Notice what the Bible says. By living according to your word. Then in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, according to Eastern Orthodox tradition, King David actually wrote this psalm. But not only did he write this psalm, but according to Eastern Orthodox tradition, he used this psalm to teach his son, Solomon, the ABCs in the Hebrew alphabet. But not just the ABCs in the Hebrew alphabet, as it were, but also the ABCs of life. Because it's believed that within Psalm 119 is just some of the most important lessons on life. And we often hear this scripture, correct me if I'm wrong, in the context of memorizing scripture, right? And we said, you know, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay, if you want to not sin, you've got to memorize scripture. And look, I believe in memorizing scripture and you should be memorizing scripture. But hear me now, church. You can have the entire Bible memorized and still go to hell. Because this is not talking about having a mechanistic relationship with God. We're not here talking about going through the ropes, going through the motions. Notice what John chapter 5 verse 39. Notice what Jesus says. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So here's Jesus. He's pushing back against the religious leaders of the day who believed that religion is the thing that saves us. That if I follow enough of the law, that if I have enough of the Torah memorized, then I'm going to be good to go. But please, the Bible is not some kind of magical incantation. The Bible, as some people in society believe, is like some crystal that you put in the corner of your home to ward off scripture, to ward off demons. The Bible is not some kind of totem that you put in your home to ward off demons. Remember, the devil has the Bible memorized. He knows scripture. So just having the Bible memorized, that's not going to be the thing to ward off the demons. We're talking about having a daily, a real relationship with God. Not going through the motions. So if you feel 
that you're often vulnerable to temptation and you can't seem to overcome, friends, you need to learn to develop a daily, a real relationship with God. So we're talking about three principles for living a life of purity. That's the first one. Here's the second. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Notice what the Bible says. Above all else, what? Guard. Above all else. This is the most important thing you could do. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now look, I think it's kind of interesting. The last principle that we looked at is King David sharing principles with his son Solomon. And now here's Solomon that's, you know, you know that he had lived kind of a rough life. Here's Solomon now passing on some of his most important principles of life now to his own son. So talking about counsels from dad to sons, from parents to kids. Here's some of that. And I want you to notice the spirit with which Solomon wrote. I'm going to go really quickly through a few verses here in Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8. He says, listen my son to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And how about one more? Proverbs chapter 4. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. And he continues just like that for several other chapters. I mean, can you kind of feel the heart of Solomon, this father? Can you feel his heart? I mean, he's just begging. He's saying, sons... He's saying, family, I've learned some things through the school of hard knocks. I've done some things. I've fallen through some holes. Bad stuff has happened. And I would love nothing more than for you to learn from my lessons. Don't make the mistakes that I made. I would love for you to succeed. So please, please, my sons, listen to my words. And so what does he tell him there? In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, look, summary statement, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, let me show you two other verses in the Bible where this word guard, from guard your heart, is referenced, just so you can get a little bit of a stronger sense of what this actually means, okay? So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. There will be a day when watchmen cry out. The word watchmen there is a word for guard. There'll be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. So to be a watchman is to be on guard. It's not passive It's exceedingly active. It's not about hiding behind the walls of the city and saying, oh boy, I hope I survive these attacks. No. It's about being up top on the watchtower. It's about being active. We're at war. We're scanning. I'm not going to be caught off guard by the enemy of temptation. I'm on guard. 
I'm on the watchtower. Do you feel that? Okay, how about this other one? Nahum chapter 2 verse 1. It says, an attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the, force, the fortress. There's the word. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. Some of you are thinking, well, hold on, Rodley. Why are you being so dramatic? I mean, it's just, you know, it, it is what it is. Do I really have to be so hardcore about guarding my heart? Well, let's ask the apostle Peter, shall we? Let, let's see what he thinks. The one that had so often fallen to really deep temptation. Notice what he says. He said, be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring what? Like a what, church? He said, it's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Now look, if all of a sudden we got an announcement that, hey folks, we just found out that right outside somehow there is a lion that's been let loose on the campus of Andrews University, how would you all react? <laughs> yeah, you're saying, you say, I would stay in church. <laughs> that's wise, generally. Good. Yeah, and, and if for whatever reason you had to go out, right, say, you know, I'm hungry, I got to go home now, you would not walk out carelessly, would you? You wouldn't walk out and just kind of turn your back, would you? No. You would walk with your back to the walls, feeling the walls, because you want to make sure you're scanning, because you want to find out where that lion is. Isn't that the truth? Because I'm not about to be eaten by no lion. And so you're watching, and he says, folks, church, the devil is like a lion. He's trying to devour you. Don't be confused. The devil is not your friend. He's not trying to bless you with temptation. He's trying to kill you with temptation. You remember what Jesus said, John chapter 10, about the thief, the devil? He said, the thief does not come except to what? To steal to kill and to destroy. God has a plan for your life. And guess what? The devil has a purpose and a plan for your life as well. That's it right there. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants you to be lost. Just as he is lost. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, I have to say, I appreciate the straightforward counsel of Ellen White. Notice what she says in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, we have a work to do to resist temptation. Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. And let's just go back to the last slide for just a moment. Do you see what it says there? In other words, friends, so often, too often, we think that this is just some kind of passive thing. I'm just going to walk about aimlessly in life and, you know, if, if temptation hits me, then fine. No, no. You've got to guard your heart. We're at war. The devil would love to destroy you. 
And notice what she says. We have a work to do to resist temptation. God will give you the power, but you have a work to do. You have to guard the avenues. You have to close those doors. And I know that sometimes, I just want to admit, I know that sometimes hearing counsel like this can sound kind of grating and old-fashioned. And it can seem like some, you know, person waving their finger at you and it just kind of, right, kind of, sometimes it stirs something in your heart. And if something's stirring in your heart right now, I hope that it's the Holy Spirit convicting you. But please, I mean, accept this, the words of the Lord, as from a loving Father delivering it to you today. That's what I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. We're talking about how to live a life of purity. First, seek a daily relationship with God. Second, guard the avenues of your heart. And third, practice godly habits. In a sense, sin is a habit. Oftentimes, it's kind of like a reflex. It's a response to some kind of given stimuli. Notice what James Clear, in his book Atomic Habits, actually said about this. Pretty interesting quote. He says, you don't eliminate a bad habit, you replace it. In other words, it's not enough for me to simply say, self, stop sinning. I mean, we need to make that commitment and say, okay, I'm going to start following Jesus Christ, but we need to begin implementing godly habits in our life. Notice what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things things. And then he takes it to the next level. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Practice godly habits. He's saying put these things into practice and what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. Do you catch what he's saying? So yes, we, we, The Holy Spirit convicts us. We say, yep, I'm going to give my back to that sin in my life. I confess that sin. And then it's not enough, though, to theoretically, cognitively turn my mind to purity. It's not enough to say, I will merely stop looking at this. I will just turn my back on it. No, it's it's not enough. It's not enough to recognize it as evil and sinful. That's not enough. You have to put it into practice. You need to start developing godly habits. And do you notice what the Apostle Paul says will be the result if you begin rejecting sin and walking in the newness of life with godly habits? Do you notice what he says the result is going to be? He says, and the peace of God will be with you. When you're walking in sin, it's stressful. Right? I mean... You feel guilt and you feel shame and you're just in the dark and you just kind of want to stay in the shadows and you don't want to come into the light. 
But guess what, friends? Here's the amazing thing. When you're walking in the light of a forgiven man or woman, that's freedom. There's peace in that. And peace feels good. I don't want nobody to take away my peace when I'm experiencing peace. He says, you, you begin walking with Jesus and following him and you're implementing godly habits into your life and you're going to begin to experience peace in your life. I wonder if there's anybody here today, though, who maybe right now, it's maybe somebody here, maybe somebody watching online, listening to the radio, if you feel like you're currently there in the battle of temptation, you're struggling with purity in some area of your life. If that's you, I want to share with you some good news. Again, another quote from Ellen White. Check this out. She says, the strongest temptation cannot excuse sin. However great the pressure brought to bear upon the soul, transgression is our own act. Let's hold it there for a moment. Have you ever heard somebody say, the devil made me do it? Right? Maybe you've thought that as well. So, well, the, the devil got me that time. No, you got you that time. It wasn't the devil. The devil can influence, the devil can put stuff in your minds. And yes, if you know there's a roaring lion out there and you start parading yourself around a roaring lion, guess what? You're going to get eaten by that lion. That was your fault. It's time to be men. It's time to be women. It's time to take some personal responsibility for our lives I love that. The strongest temptation cannot excuse sin. You're going to have lots of pressure to bear upon the soul, but transgression is our own act. Let's go to the next one. It's not in the power of earth or hell to compel anyone to do evil. Satan attacks us at our weak point, but we need not be overcome. Do you catch that, friends? And however severe or unexpected the assault, God has provided help for us, and in his strength we may conquer. How many say amen? amen? The devil can tempt you. And I'm not saying the temptation won't feel hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be a temptation. But notice, God has provided help for us, and in his strength we may conquer. You don't have to succumb to that sin. You can have victory in the name of Jesus. You can be freed from the bondage that you've been held in. You can be walking with him and experience that peace in your life. You know, it's like Martin Luther said, you know, the, the birds may try to fly over your head, but you can prevent them from putting a nest in your hair. He's talking about temptation, right? If the, the impure thought might pop into your mind, okay, but you don't have to hold on to it. You can reject it in the name of Jesus. You know, every week here at Pioneer, we invite everyone, no matter if you're a first-time guest, a long-time member, or an attender, we encourage everyone to take some kind of next step in their walk with God. And so I simply want to ask you this. What's the next step that God is calling you to make today? 
want to invite you, we're going to go through an online connect card. And here's what I want to invite you to do. Text the word PURITY1. Because I'm going to make an invitation. And I would love to invite everyone that's here right now. So often what I've noticed, friends, is that those of us physically in the church sanctuary, we do not participate in this. And the devil, trust me, does not want you to participate. It's mostly people online, but it's not us in here. So I, I, trust me, the devil does not want you to participate in this, but I challenge you, I challenge you, participate in this today. All right? Just text the word PURITY1. No, per, no, you know, um, quotation marks, just PURITY1, no space. Text it to 269-281-2345, or you can go to the link pmchurch.org slash connect. And I want to invite you through a few next steps. So PURITY1 to the number we often use. Here's the first next step. I want to commit to purity in my life. So if that's you today, if you're realizing that God is calling you to commit or to recommit to purity in your life, we would love to be praying for you. We would love to celebrate that decision that you've made. And believe me, making a commitment like this is the first step. So make the commitment to purity in your life. Number two, send me a five-day Bible reading plan on purity. We'd love to send you some resources, but we're not going to be able to send it to you if you do not do the online form or through the phone. Because I, I don't have, you know, I don't know who's making a decision in here. Are you with me? So you've got to respond using the online connect card. I want to send you a five-day Bible reading plan. Number three, you want to receive more information about attending the Pure Desire Conference. Look, you've heard a lot about it to this point. Pastor Dwight has been preaching about it. Chaplain Jose and all the chaplains have been talking about it. We are all in in this campus community concerning this conference coming up. It starts Friday, October 21st and 22nd. And here's what I want to invite you to do. If you struggle with online temptation, I'm just saying, you've got to be there. If, I'm not giving you permission to back out of it. You need to be there. If you struggle with online temptation, you got to be there. And look, if you're an Andrews student, young adult, there's scholarships available. PMC has put money in. We want to help you get there. So take responsibility and say, yep, I'm going to be there. We're going to help you get there. Don't worry. Just make that commitment. We want to send you more information on there. But there's a lot of others of you that need to be there as well. In other words, I know what you're thinking. Here's what you're thinking, all right? You're thinking, you know... If I go and I see other people from the campus or from church, it's going to be embarrassing because now they're going to know that I have some kind of struggle. No, don't think like that. Because here's the, here's the group of people that need to be doing, that need to be going. If you struggle, yes, you need to go, absolutely. But even if you do not struggle, if you want to learn more about this, if you have children, if you have people in your life that you want to influence for the good, you need to be there as well. Because guess what? I'm planning to be there with my two boys. And I hope to see you there. And don't worry. When I see you, you don't need to hide yourself. We're going to make eye contact. And it does not mean that I'm thinking anything at all. Okay? I'm going to be there. Not because I struggle with this. Praise God I don't, but because I want to learn as much about the strategies of the devil so that we can prevent this and we can counteract this for our families and our 
loved ones. So friends, let me just pray with you now. Let's just bow our heads as we close. Father in heaven, I want to pray for every single person that's here today, for everybody that's made some kind of decision. I know that the devil is hard at work. I mean, just 24-7, 365 days a year. He's just trying to influence this planet with online temptation. And so we pray in the name of Jesus, though. I mean, we believe that God is calling up a generation of people who will stand fast, stand fast and to reject it. That there will be, as the book of Revelation says, virgins, people following Jesus. And we know that's not talking about literal virgins at the end of earth's history, those that are part of the 144,000, but they're, they're people that have decided that no matter what, they're going to prioritize and follow Jesus. So please, Lord, move upon the people that need to be there. We believe it's going to be a huge blessing. And just thank you for being with all the other decisions that have been made today. To that end, we simply thank and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.